headphones. We're sharing a mic. Oh, it's like we share everything. Good. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron brought a two liter of Sprite over. So you're sharing that too. We are. Nice. Grant Hill drinks Sprite. Uh, Grant, Grant Hill drinks, drinks Sprite. Sprite. <laughs> Grant Hill drinks Sprite. <laughs> Do you remember that commercial? Yes. <laughs> so good. I hadn't thought about that in like with 15 years. It's so what I always uh, think about when I drink Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> true. I brought this, uh, I brought some pizza over to John's house a couple days ago. And I didn't tell John at the time that it actually came with a two liter of Sprite. Oh, is this it? Because we had a bunch of children and I didn't want the children mm. to be exposed to the mm. uh, the evil the sugary soda of the Sprite. Yeah. So we delicious. brought it over. I was saving it for tonight. Yeah. Oh, that's the good stuff right there. Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And with us today, we have the returning guest of all guests. You might say a returning host, Aaron Zabriskie. <laughs> please, wow. please. That, that applause. Sit down, sit it's down. All right. Hold your applause. <laughs> Uh, Hi, everybody. Aaron, so awesome to have you back. Thank back! You. Back! Back! <laughs> so if you say anything like the way that he said Mac... Mac! It's kind of like you are Arnold. It's what this podcast has devolved into, is just us yelling Mac. Mac! Everything. Mac! Oh, and Dylan. Dylan! 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 Oh, it's the little things. It's the little things. Uh, so, Aaron, for all of yeah. our, our listeners out there, do you want to uh, say uh, what you've been doing, where you've been, uh, adventures you've had during this hiatus? Not particularly. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Let's move along. <laughs> Let me say this. The last time I spoke to you, I was in Africa. Correct. Currently, I am in John's studio. Wow. It's... We went from one uh, wasteland to another. <laughs> we prefer the Donald Trump-inspired term of shithole. Yeah, you went from one shithole country to another. <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm joking. We actually All my don't African prefer that. People out there, yes, that was a bad joke. We love don't Africa. Prefer that at all. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking minute 43 of Predator, minute 43 you might call the Dennis Eckersley of minutes, uh, baseball reference Jeff. I, I actually knew that one, I'm proud of him. Oh. He's a pitcher, right? Or did I just... He was a pitcher, hey. yeah. He was. Okay. Hey. All right. You have the Hall of Famer Jack Sigma, who played for the Seattle Supersonics Yes, I know that ago. one too. Uh, Hall of Fame baseball player Ralph Kiner. And surefire Hall of Famer to be Troy Palomalu, the hair. Mm. Oh, and there's a bonus. There is a number 43 football player named Albert Mack. 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 <laughs> Once again, there's like two guys out there with an Albert Mack jersey that just got it. <laughs> <laughs> nice find. Well done finding guys named Mack wearing the right number. All right. So minute 43 of Predator opens with Anna looking on in blood-covered shock mm. and ends with Panchito looking at some guts on the ground. Guts. 
So, Jeff, tell us, what are we seeing first in the minute? All right. uh, So to kick things off here in this minute, we've got a nice, like, horrifying shot of Anna with blood splattered on her face. And Mm -hmm. her mouth is kind of agape and she's breathing heavy. Um, If you just kind of pause on that frame, it's a pretty great horror shot. Like, looks like straight out of a horror movie. And then we quickly uh, transition to a chase. Mm-hmm. Right, because whatever has happened to Hawkins here, it has obviously um, alerted the crew, and so they are running to find out what's going on. So right away, we get fast-moving camera action, and we're tracking. Who do we got here? That is uh, Mac Dylan and, Dylan. and Mac running screen right to screen left, and then Panchito and Dutch running screen left to screen right. Which I thought was interesting to show them running in opposite directions. I was wondering if you knew, like, what was that meant to symbolize? Yes. Yeah, ah, yeah, you're right. Because we we get them from right to left, and then we'll talk about the predator hand here in a minute. And the then hand. the next shot is him running right to left. I I don't know. I mean, they could be running in the same direction. You just move the camera to the other side. Yeah. Um, I I think just uh, movie wise, like composition wise, it's a little more interesting to have a, a change in direction. Mm-hmm. It kind of adds to the frenetic feeling of the chase. Right. Um, we also missed an opportunity there because it was Mac and Dylan. So we really should have been Mac, Mac Dylan. 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 <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least, they could have argued amongst themselves. <laughs> uh, but in, in between these two cuts of them running through the jungle, we get an, another, only our second shot at this point in the movie of the camouflaged predator. Uh, mm-hmm. But this time we see his hand reach in and grab uh, was that Hawkins leg, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what do you think about this little sequence here, guys? Uh, I think it's great. I think it's given us a chance to uh, focus more on the <laughs> kind of like business end of what the predator is doing, not just like the crazy, terrifying kill shots, but also seeing the predator do what a hunter would do, which is you're, you're, you're taking your, your downed prey out of, out of the environment, out of the area. Um, but also you're seeing way cool invisible hand shot, which when you converge it with the predator actually walking away, they look like two completely different technologies being used for the um, camouflage shots for the active camouflage. Hmm. And yeah, those are, those are some effects which we can talk about a little bit later that I totally don't understand, even though I read about them a lot, but that gauntleted hand, it comes down. It looks like, it belongs to the predator that we see later in the movie. But then when you see him walking away, it very much looks like, I don't know, like a, a, a much slighter person than, mm. than the one that we see. It doesn't look like a six or a seven foot tall Kevin Peter Hall. It looks much more like uh, what we know now as uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme costume. Right, right. Uh, did you guys notice the two sound effects we kind of get back to back as he grabs the ankle here of, of poor Hawkins? We <laughs> sounds sounds like a knife being inserted into some flesh. Yeah, we can we get that stabbing sound, and then we also get kind of a kind of a squishy, like gross sound, kind of with it. You know, did you notice that? Like along with the stabbing. Yeah, it's kind of like a. Uh, it just sounds like he's crunching his his ankle. <laughs> yeah, like he's just just. Uh, Right, like game that he's yeah you know, taken out. It doesn't really matter if it's <laughs> being manhandled or uh, alien handled, roughly. 
Um, Aaron, did you have anything to add on on our uh, appearance, or our our look here at the Predator hand? You know, if you're a first time watcher of this movie, this is only the second time you've gotten to see the uh, the camo here. It's true. I think it's a really good shot. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but uh, the interviews with the producers and on the director's commentary, they talked about how important this effect was to the movie. In fact, uh, there's a quote they quoted Joel Silver several times in this saying that. Uh, that when he saw this effect for the first time, that's when he said he knew they had a movie they could make. But before they had this effect, they didn't know how they were going to make this active camouflage thing work hmm. in the movie. So this was like an extremely important thing for this. And just like John said, I think I've read the same interview from this uh, website called VFX blog uh, with one of the uh, special effects guys in this movie. And it's super complex and I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> it, well, they're using this terminology. I have no idea what it means. Right. I think you had to have been like in the movie making business in the eighties and nineties to know what it is that they're talking about. Yeah. I mean, and, for, for, for yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but just for any of our younger listeners out there that, you know, might not be aware, like this is not CGI. Um, they had to use, you know, practical camera effects here to pull this off. And, and, you know, in the late eighties, that is a very, kind of hit or miss proposition it could either end up looking great like it ended up looking or it could look really shitty and kind of draw you out of the movie as soon as you see it so hats off to them for figuring it out yeah they keep the one thing i can kind of connect to is they keep referencing the use of mats and matte painting to me means (laughs) mats matte paintings to me means like your old like star wars and indiana jones movies are trying to create some kind of fantasy landscape so in the background or just 10 feet away from the character is like this green screen and then when they tran then when they're um, editing the film they're just putting that painting on the film itself so that's what you see yeah. and that's what they say they're doing here with the effects is that they're using concentric lines mats uh, in the place of this red suit so the original oh. suit and the um the Kevin Peter Hall suit later on are both red suits against this green lush background because it's that exact opposite color. And they would use that. Right. They would say, I think the quote they use is, is um, to like film a hole in the jungle somehow right. using the, the, the difference. And then on the film stock or whatever, they're able to put just a series of mats <laughs> again, like these mat, these, they call them mat inlines. Hmm. Um, to create this kind of ripple effect. So anytime, almost anytime that you see the uh, camouflage effect, you're seeing a bunch of concentric shapes within that. Um, so it's almost like a miniature version at the tiniest uh, part of the camo. Well, it's really effective and impressive because it mm-hmm. it still is like see-through. Like you still see what's going on mm-hmm. behind his, his hand or behind his body. Um, you brought up matte paintings just a little aside, like... I know that's kind of an antiquated thing that you find in older movies like Indiana Jones, like you said, comes to mind. But man, there's something like so great about those matte paintings. I I always love seeing that in older movies and um, mm-hmm. just the artwork that goes into those. Um, you, uh, another director that used those a lot was actually John Carpenter. Um, he has a lot of matte paintings you can find uh, in his mm. like in the landscapes in the background of his movies. Um, yeah. Like escape from New York, the opening yeah. shots there. I was listening oh, yeah. to that minute by minute podcast. And they were talking about the whole lands, the whole uh, cityscape being matte paintings with like the little helicopter imagery 
going in front and yeah i just love that movie magic it's kind of yeah. like when you know there's like a like a, a light like a filming light in front of the person to like light their appearance there's something about that i just really like that yeah there's uh there's another great matte painting in the thing john carpenter's the thing uh when what? he has some wide shots of of antarctica mm. um some really beautiful matte paintings of the uh you know snowy mountains in the background it's pretty awesome that's a good that's a good movie you like that movie huh jeff oh yeah we were talking about <laughs> this was brought up uh, uh before we started recording yeah it, the zabriskie brothers asked me what they thought my favorite movie of all time was and i i, I think i have to go with john carpenter's the thing mm-hmm. it's just i watch it every year um Usually in Christmas. October. <laughs> it's a Christmas movie. Like Christmas. Just gather the the family around. It's like Die Hard or Predator. It's a Christmas movie. I, I can't let the Halloween season go by without watching it. It's just uh, that near and dear to me. So there you go. That's my that's my all the time recommend for the show is to go watch the thing. John, you were talking about the model that they used for this effect. I know that they had at least four different models that they used for the for the uh, the person who was in the red suit that would later get the special effects superimposed over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure if they ever delineated exactly who was where. And just like John says, this doesn't look like a seven foot tall guy Mm-mm. in this shot. Yeah. So I'm curious. I, I would be curious to know if this might be John Claude's only. <laughs> Uh, on-screen appearance in this hmm. movie. That is what people on the YouTube say, and that's a lot of times where I go for like the little backgrounds. Is that someone in the, almost always there's someone in the YouTube's with like a little kernel that you're hoping is a, a, tr- a true thing. So yeah, we're looking at the thing on uh, there's the vfxblog.com post, and it says VFX soup. Joel Hynek recalls the days of optical compositing thermal cameras and that red suit in about halfway down nope about a quarter a third of the way down there's a video where they are talking about the red suit and how garbage it was there's pictures of john mctiernan wearing the arm of the red suit because originally this thing looked like i don't know uh almost like a on its feet without a giant tail lobster maybe like awful yeah it looked awful awful I don't know if we spent enough time. Oh, here it is. Talking about how horrible this thing was. Yeah, it looks. It was horrible. Here we go. Here's here's your shot of the red suit dragging Hawkins out. And oh, so that's the shot they used in the movie. That's, that's the shot Jean-Claude. they used in the movie, and that's Jean Claude. I did not know that. Thank you for finding that, John. Yeah. Wow. You can see, yeah, on that website, he's just totally dragging him out. Uh, I I don't know if this is something that's done where there's uh, a rope attached to to make it a little bit more smooth but then they're showing that back to back there you have it that is john claude van damme's one screen appearance that they saved in the final cut of this movie that's interesting (laughs) that's great well the other thing that i find interesting is uh you know they uh at one point later in the movie i'm sure we'll talk about it uh they put a chimpanzee in a red suit to try to film (laughs) it jumping tree limb to tree limb that one not in the movie yeah john claude van damme however who was fired yeah in the movie yeah. <laughs> better that than chimpanzee that is that's a really cool find you guys that's awesome you talk about him getting dragged out right here which is uh kind of the next little sequence that we see i really like the way that's done like with the camera right down like pretty much on the ground and you're right john it, it looks like there might almost be a rope or something going on because the the effect is so smooth Mm-hmm. Like Hawkins is pulled so easily and casually by the predator. It, the way they do it makes him look, you know, immensely strong. Like this is no problem for him to just drag this guy out by with one hand. 
So it makes you think there might be some sort of, you know, pulley or something involved as well. So I, I have like a, a question, a continuity question. So we see him dragged off and he's still wearing the glasses. Mm. I was wondering, how did the, how do you think the predator killed him? Cause we talked before and you said he just maybe smacked him Smack! like real hard. And we, and, and I'm sure people on who've watched this movie, maybe by and large think he's been gashed by the blades. What do you think, Aaron? No, we don't know that he got hit in the face. And in fact, based on the second shot where his face is relatively intact, he probably didn't get it in the face. Also, do you think he might be wearing some sort of like band behind his glasses to hold them on? Since <laughs> there's there's a name for those. He had some kind of advanced technology to keep his glasses on. Crokies, we call them in the glasses biz. I don't think he has crokies on, as I recall in earlier shots. Doesn't look like he has them. Regardless, the uh, one thing that I think is interesting is uh, well, two things that are interesting about the shot. Uh, you were talking about the fact that he's doesn't mind mangling the body. Uh, you probably, John, I'm sure remembers in the original script, it calls for the uh, predator to actually preserve the skin. Yeah. Oh, just gruesome. Mm. And like John McTiernan says creeper in the style. director's commentary, he said he wasn't going to do it. It was too gross. Yeah. And mm. it seems obvious in in this in the movie that that John McTiernan made. It took no took no care taking care of the skin uh, like he was originally called to do in the script. So I think it means he could have sliced and diced this guy every which way, mm-hmm. and the uh, and it would have been fine. Based on the fact that uh, we see at the end of this minute, his guts lying all over the ground. Mm-hmm. Presumably, he got him somewhere in the abdomen. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe some some good abdomen slice. But yeah, or eventually, right? He... Obviously, he eventually had to get cut open <laughs> in the abdomen in order to get the guts out. Eventually, he yeah. cleaned Hawkins. Mm. And presumably, if his goal was just to kill Hawkins, because we see much later in the movie, he has other ways to get his trophies out, the skull mm-hmm. and spine, uh, that he doesn't need to actually go through like a careful gutting process like you would with a trophy animal. Right. He's probably just going for a kill shot. Yeah. And so if he's just going for a kill shot through the torso and abdomen, then he could totally avoid the face. Right. And when he, we see Hawkins later stringed up, I believe next minute, Yeah. there's theories about why he hangs up certain uh, kills and takes out the skulls of certain kills. And the theory is that those like he had to fight more for um, those are the ones he keeps. And those are, and the weaker ones are the ones he just strings up and, and what's the birds get him. Yeah. Just let, let the crows or the hmm. vultures at him. But yeah. I'm not a hunter. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think your average deer hunter would have a lot of rules about which skulls you keep and which ones you just string up in the trees and let the birds back All right, so are we uh, ready to go on to the, the next uh, section of the minute here? Uh, John McTiernan decides to speak up here during his commentary for this oh, minute. Wow, that's I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> it is it is all over the place. He's he's talking about the filming having to film between Puerto Vallarta and Palenque. He was saying the first costume was really terrible, uh, but then he goes on to say that that pause in production as they waited, I forget how many months, for the real costume to, to take shape and to um, to come into being, uh, that he was able to relocate the shoot from Puerto Vallarta to Palenque, Yucatan Peninsula, where there's a lot more actual jungle, um, at least in that season. 
that's all I really had from him. <laughs> Everything else we've really talked about. Jeff, huh. are you okay? It sounds like you just fell over. No, sorry. I had to get up and get another beer. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, another, I, I finished my glass of red. I decided to grab a beer out of my beer fridge in the garage. So mm-hmm. I missed the second part of what you were saying. <laughs> so, well, he was just, alluding to the fact that they had to do mm-hmm. this movie in two different shoots. Mm-hmm. Puerto oh, right. And Palenque. And the one thing I, I was thinking about... we. I think John and I talked about this way back in one of the earlier minutes. Uh, which is, can you think of a movie where you think about hearing about them having to like completely redo where they're shooting the movie, restart with a bunch of different things and halt production for months on end that ended up being like a really good movie. Huh. Typically when you hear things about that, like a troubled production and like, Oh man, they've got to change all these different things in the movie. You're thinking, Oh, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. Oh, solo, sorrow story. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I just Silence. saw solo on a, on, a, on an airplane. Because yeah. <laughs> they had to it change. It was an okay movie. I just didn't. I just didn't think through. it was. It was. It was what it actually was trying to be. Right. 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 I thought it was a good, different movie. Hmm. Uh, well, so I think of the latest Predator movie. Where they had to reshoot like the whole second half of the movie oh my God. after oh, the Jesus. test after uh, the test screens all hated it. Yeah, I Did made you it. Your predator? No, yeah, you don't need to. I was I, told I made, it was kind of yeah, not that great. I've told yeah. you it's kind of not that great. I made it like thirty John minutes. John said he in. really didn't like it. You only made it thirty minutes. <laughs> Yeah, and then didn't I was like, "Did you pay no. like twelve dollars for it?" No, I didn't go to the $12. theater. I didn't see it in the theater. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought you went to see it with John. Oh no! No. <laughs> Thirty minutes. You just told him, "Sorry, I'm out of here." Stand up and walk out. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> um. All right. Anyway, so. this movie an exception. Yeah. Yeah. They completely yeah. redid a lot of things. There were months in between uh, the two different sides of shooting, and uh, I think this is like a tribute to all the filmmakers, on especially John McTiernan, of being able to make make something good out of <laughs> out of something that wasn't that great to begin with. You're really Billy, able to rescue this movie. Do you think Billy had his bodyguard with him that whole time too during the? <laughs> <laughs> they probably all flew back. Calls him back six months later, and he's like, "Hey." Went back to Mexico. It's like Billy never left. Billy's still down there somewhere. He's still there. <laughs> Billy like just walked like... to the next location while everyone else went home for a while. <laughs> and his bodyguard. Yeah. Ooh. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna walk. <laughs> I'll camp along the way. I'm gonna go out that valley, but mm. I wouldn't wish that on a broke dick dog. I wouldn't wish that on a broke dick dog. Okay. <laughs> So what's what's next? What's All right. second, yeah. Jesus Christ, you guys! Can we get to the next section here? Oh my God! <laughs> All right. So the the next section here really is, although it's like the last kind of like three fourths of the minute, it's all really uh, kind of one sequence. So why don't I just kind of I'll, I'll take us through what happens here, and then we can we can talk about it as as needed. So after the predator pulls uh, poor Hawkins into the trees. We jump back to a chase sequence here. And uh, who is that running right there? That is, is that Ponchito? At the 16 second mark? Yeah, it's Ponchito. He's coming in hot. He's jumping over things. Kind of like a callback to Hawkins chasing her just a minute ago and doing like the flying hawk. Yeah, so... Yeah, so Poncho's coming in. You're right. He's coming in hot, and he's he's running after Anna. Catches up to her, kind of slams her up against a tree or a log here, and sees the blood all over her face, and kind of takes a pause here and looks around, and you can tell he's visibly shook up by what he's seeing. 
he, mm-hmm. he's realizing that, oh shit, something bad, really bad has happened. And he looks down into the leaves and sees the blood. And we get a really nice kind of long camera shot here following Poncho and then looking down at the blood. And we're following this trail of blood. We see like a, a backpack also covered in blood. Backpack! Backpack! Matt! And as Poncho makes his way through the leaves, he pushes them aside and we get guts. 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 Yeah, we get a nice pile of guts here, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, so I know I took us through that whole sequence there, but we can kind of back up a little bit. But um, yeah, so what do you guys think about this, about Poncho grabbing Anna and then and then discovering the, the trail of blood? Um, well, I love the silent movie part of this where this whole minute is dialogue-free. Everything that you need to know Mm-hmm. is just being told to you visually there's there's nothing you need to hear someone say like oh what happened oh like i'm in shock something just happened no it's just all right in front of you and you're reading people's faces whether it's anna's bloody shock shock face or it's ponchito scared a little bit sleuthing face trying to track down what exactly is happening but yeah. i on top of that, I really like the carryover from where he was smacked by the slog earlier by Anna. He has um, some blood on the side of his head, right where uh, she smacked him. And I went back oh, yeah. and checked that. And oh, yeah, that's definitely the side of the head he was hit on. So that's a great continuity by uh, your makeup department, your John McTiernan, whoever else is keeping track of that. Yeah, real nice continuity there. Yeah, that's is that good. Script super- I think the script supervisor is the one who's in charge, if I remember from... Mm watching enough Hollywood shows <laughs> that it's, that's who's paying attention to continuity. Yeah. Poncho's doing some good, uh, some good acting here. Like he, he really sells this whole sequence. I, I think he does a nice job. I, I keep on coming back to this pile of guts, but I, I'm really impressed by the, <laughs> by the special effects on this pile of guts here. Yeah. They, I mean, they got like a coil, like it looks like a coil of intestines. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe a large intestine, a small intestine. Aaron, you're a You sound doctor. like you're like dictating the thoughts of Poncho here as he's yeah. looking down and he's like, whoa, pretty <laughs> gnarly. Yeah. Aaron, you're in the you're in the medical field. Can you enlighten us on what we're looking at here? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk a little bit about this. So I was gonna talk about a few other things about this sequence that I think are kind of interesting. Okay. One is how green uh these they're the last couple of minutes of these shots are. And you guys probably remember from McTiernan's uh, talking of how they had to, how they had to be using uh, basically about imported leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This is all like ferns that they brought in from town from some greenhouse mm-hmm. because they were shooting in winter. And you can see in all of these shots of <laughs> yeah. the ground, the ground is covered in brown decaying leaves. Mm. And he's saying that uh, that's all from... Uh, because this is uh, winter and all the foliage is starting to drop from the trees. And so all these big fern leaves are just stuff that they have like planted around. And so I think they've done a really good job of making the jungle seem a little closer and greener and more claustrophobic than it probably was. And the fact that I had to point this out, I think is good because it means that it wasn't obviously obvious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you say that, I can, I can picture that these are just like like potted plants <laughs> you know that they've set around <laughs> well, here yeah uh, and, and mcturner comments on that a bunch about how yeah. difficult it was to make all the shots seem green uh, especially good... most of the first half of the movie which was done almost all in puerto Vallarta. 
Mm. Before they, they went over to Palenque where things are actually green and they didn't have to fake it. Yeah, they did a good job. Like it, it does. Uh, I didn't even realize that. I, I mean, I know that I had heard that story. John and I have talked about that a little bit, but I wasn't yeah. thinking about that in this scene. So that means you're right. They did a good job here. As far as the guts go, yeah, that, that looks like they could be guts. One thing that's interesting is, uh, and this is true in uh, a lot of these movies, and it's worth pointing out, is your guts aren't just free floating in your belly in the place where they are. Uh, they're all anchored in one way or another, uh, not necessarily super tightly. So there's, they've got a lot of room to maneuver and squish around. Stick around. But if you were to cut open someone's belly, the guts wouldn't just fall out. Mm. Uh, they would be kept in some sort of modicum of, of placement by all the little pieces of connective tissue that are in there. Uh, and so, uh, if you have uh, guts laying on the ground, it means that either the predator had an especially messy kind of slice <laughs> in that first slice <laughs> that was able to disconnect everything all at once, Ooh. or he actually stuck his hand in there and you know ripping things out. Mm. The uh, because they wouldn't just fall out. Yeah, and uh, and that's true in a bunch of movies uh, that it, it's often very inaccurately portrayed, but yeah, this looks to me like a bunch of sausage links <laughs> that they, yeah. Yeah. Doused in something gross, red movie, Hollywood blood. Mm. It's pretty gross. Pretty gross. looks pretty have gross. You, have you guys ever seen uh machete, the movie machete, 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 machete. Yeah. Based on the fake movie trailer from grindhouse. With Danny um, Trejo. Yeah. With Danny Trejo. There's Next a great, hand. so, so Aaron, are you telling me it's not accurate? The scene where he's in the second story of a hospital and he rips open a guy's abdomen, grabs his intestines, and then uses it as a rope to fly down the side of a building. <laughs> That's think, not how it would work. I think there's a few different inaccuracies <laughs> with that particular scene that you're describing. Although I admit I haven't seen it, so I'll reserve final judgment. For oh the boy. But that seems, it seems unlike, yeah, no, I felt like when I saw the trailer for Machete, I sort of felt like I had seen all I needed to see of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of felt like I got the idea. <laughs> you, the you do, you do get the idea. I, I'm not going to say it's not worth watching though. Cause it is a ton of fun, <laughs> Yeah, but, um, it's, I love uh, Danny Trejo. He's pretty awesome. Yeah, you, you get the gist of what you're about to watch just from that trailer. Absolutely. Nice. You know, uh, Danny Trejo, he was in this, uh, crappy B-movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme that I saw many years ago I really liked. I'm trying to think of what other connections he has to this movie. What Van no, Damme movie were they in together? Yeah. Uh, it was him and Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid. Oh, Pat Morita. Pat Morita. Yeah. And uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme comes into this crappy little Arizona town. Oh, is it Nowhere to Run? No, that's a good oh. guess, but no. And oh. he, uh, uh, he's going to like clean up the place mm. and he wipes out this, like, uh, this gang of redneck guys that sell meth terrible movie (laughs) (laughs) but it uh that's the only movie i can think of that danny trejo is in that's also with some of these folks uh desert heat yeah desert heat that's the one desert heat john actually watched it with me yeah yeah. uh the pat marita actually had some really terrible dirty jokes that kind of reminded me of the dirty jokes that uh, oh. that hawkins has in this movie oh there you go 
That's in kind of Van Damme's like dark stage where like he had fallen off straight to video superstar status was doing straight to video stuff, and, but he was still taking himself seriously, you know, and then it wasn't from like a, like another 10 years later that he just sort of embraced the fact that he can't take himself so seriously. He started doing like kind of tongue in cheek stuff later in his yeah. career. Some of it I really like, like, did you guys ever see like the movie just called JCVD and he plays, he plays himself. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. It's really, yeah, it's really great. He plays himself like a version of himself, and it's it's kind of meta, but it's really well done. Super fun. I feel like that was a good turning point for Van Damme. Yeah, there's a there's a funny show on Amazon called Jean Claude Van Johnson where he yes plays yeah. himself, but he's also playing as if real his actor self is his alias for his real self, which is a secret agent. Right, <laughs> right. That, that was the great. best scenes by far is when he's doing. He's doing like his own. God, what am I thinking? I can't. Even, it's like they have to do the split screen part oh, of the scenes where he's like he his own skin. Like, yeah, it's like his the, own cover. Right, it's like the drunken version of him or whatever. And he's yes. and they're like arguing about you know time cop is time cop is a good movie. <laughs> the best best time travel movie, not like that grab looper. <laughs> time so, cop is a good movie. I like uh, Keep coming back to Jean Claude Van Damme. That's so great. He's in the well, movie for exactly like one and a half seconds, <laughs> right? As an invisible, <laughs> he's in, and he's invisible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, while he's wearing his super embarrassing red suit. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's so good. But he may as well be the star. <laughs> and none um, of it would happen without him. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you guys. So last minute. It was implied that Hawkins died, but we really don't find out for sure until we see the guts here, right? Right. It so would be hard to live without those. Yes. So this You're is right. The, there is there is about 30 seconds. No, less than that. Yeah. So this There's is about sort of, 10 seconds where you can't 100% be sure he's dead. And you're just hoping. <laughs> Come on. Pull through. Yeah. He's dead. No, he's dead. So Hawkins can dead. we can, can we all agree this is like the official death of hawkins here yeah this is where we're gonna lay down the uh the in memoriam yeah. lone trumpet by alan silvestri so sad to see uh one of our team members go this is you know first of possibly a few we don't know yet hopefully the team can regroup and uh, hunt down this <laughs> savage beast of a of a hunter just a, a coward using invisibility who would do oh. such a thing well uh, i've uh i've i've put together a little eulogy, if I may, oh. for Hawkins. Would you, you guys like to hear? Yeah, we, we took off our hats. Over, okay. Holding them on our hearts. Does everyone have a glass of Sprite or whatever <laughs> it is you're drinking there? Uh, <laughs> Saving some for Hawkins. Yeah. yeah. We'll yeah, pour some yeah. out in the driveway later. Pour some no. out for him. <laughs> I'm not real good at sentimental speeches, so I decided to uh, write a limerick um, in honor of Hawkins. <laughs> <clears throat> title Hawkins there once was a nice guy on a chopper he killed bad guys who lived in palapas he made Billy croak with a vagina joke but what's left of him now resembles lasagna <laughs> oh my god very impressed. Oh, oh my god. You <laughs> <laughs> put some real effort in <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
Enjoyed that one. <laughs> I got more of a applause line than I was expecting. I'm kind oh, of proud of myself. That was, right. that was good. If people are listening to their cars, they should pull over, go out <laughs> of the car, and then just stand up and applaud by the side of the road or hmm. yeah. stand up at right. your desk. Well, uh, I'm going to try to uh, put together a little limerick style eulogy for all of our team members uh, if they happen to pass away. I don't know if they will or not. But, I feel yeah. like the limerick might just be a Hawkins kind of event because that yeah. really fits his character I think pretty darn well and he would have appreciated it out I of everybody Pancho would appreciate one in Spanish maybe in Espanol yes I'd have to brush up I would just be saying like donde esta biblioteca over and over again <laughs> that's all I remember from high school <laughs> Google Translate can help yeah um all right, you guys. Well, uh, thank you for the applause there. I do appreciate that. That was great. That kind of brings us to the end of the minute. Do we have uh, any other tidbits to add here? John, did you have anything else from your notes? I don't know. Aaron, did you have any final thoughts as we say goodbye to Hawkins? Oh, I think we have some important things to follow here. Sure. Uh, so I think John wants to start a, uh, a possible in memoriam where Yes, we have the important official eulogy from Mr. Glover, but we also can each share some of our memories yeah. of this character. Mm. And so uh, John, I think, picked out some favorite lines that we can remember yes. from this guy. So yeah. John, what was your favorite line? My favorite line, thank you, Aaron, uh, was after the camp's destruction, Hawkins, who we know so well as the radio operator of the group, is <laughs> 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 like, Two dirty jokes and uh, two radio operating jokes and a couple of like, uh, uh-huh, yes, sir, please, please. And I wrote down the line. Air surveillance says we've got gorillas all over the place. Can't be more than one, two miles away. This place going down. Uh, and, and telling the team that this zone that they just ex- exploded into space is now being closed in on by other gorilla patrols. Uh, so they have to get out of there. And I really enjoy that line by Hawkins because it's really his one line of him doing his job for the team in the movie. And I'm a big fan of uh, seeing the specialists do their thing. And he has a, the funky little, uh, I don't know what is it? It's almost like a canvas satellite dish or something like that. It's like on a tripod. He, he's able to take that down and throw that in his pack and be ready to go. And we actually see his radio being carried on by the group later on because the predator did not take uh, his equipment or his weapon or his guts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> his lasagna? Simple <laughs> lasagna. Oh my God. Aaron, do you have a, a good Hawkins story or in memoriam? As a child? <laughs> I must say that I felt like I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> really quite the introduction to sexual education for a young Aaron. <laughs> uh, John, you may remember you had to explain these to me. I did? Yeah. Like back in the day? Yeah. Explain this to Oh my God. I didn't really understand these jokes when I first saw this movie when I was, I don't know, seven or eight. The other day I went up to my girlfriend. I said, you know, I'd like a little pussy. She said, me too. Mine's as big as a house. Yeah. Well, see, she, she wanted a little one because hers was big as a house. John was like, you see, Brother Aaron, 
It's called a pussy. <laughs> she said hers was as big as a house. See, because hers was, you know, as, as she wanted yeah, a little one. No, Hawkins did a good job of explaining the uh, the first one. Yeah. The second one though took a little more <laughs> more explaining. And the second one is what makes Billy laugh. The other day, I was going down to my girlfriend. I said to her, "Jace, you got a big pussy." Jace, you got a big pussy. She said, why did you say that twice? And I said, I didn't. See, it's because of the echo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He wore him down. Yeah. That, that's what I will always remember Hawkins for. <laughs> <laughs> Your own sex education. <laughs> That's great. Early on, you guys probably already talked about the fact that uh, Shane Black on this movie, Black, uh, Black, Matt, where they uh, uh, they had a bunch of different perspectives on exactly who hired him and why, uh, and about how his character went and why. I've read at least two different sources that say that they killed his character off early in the movie because he wasn't willing to. Uh, to work primarily as a writer. Hmm. And uh, so when they hired him on, they uh, uh, had originally planned to try to get him to do some more uh, work on the script. And he said he wasn't really that interested in doing it. And so the, the head writers were like, oh, okay, well, we'll just kill you off pretty quick then. Because huh. you're not going to be that useful to us. Yeah, That's well, I mean, in, in the script, his character, the radio operator, um, well, is the first one to die. Yeah, is the first like this early, and this is before they know anybody who's working on it or who they have envisioned for it. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure that that story makes a lot of doesn't hold up that well, but that's the way people have uh, yeah. have said it uh, in interviews later. And this character is actually an amalgamation of three different characters from the 1985 script, where there's like a a guy from Boston, there's the rookie of the group, and then there's the radio operator, and they all have different names like Murphy and his name is actually Dylan in this. And then there's Hawkins and all three of those are just combined because I believe his character, Rick Hawkins is supposed to be from Boston and he just happens to be the rookie and he's the radio operator. And then Hmm. two two of those characters die in the camp raid originally. I think so you're seeing that, Oh, this is a dangerous mission, but they didn't let anybody be killed by uh, these worthless gorillas that we see in the movie. Like there's, there's no way they would have done any damage. The thing is, you know, this minute and the minute before this really marked, I think, the transition from this movie as an action movie uh, to more of a uh, the more of the the horror style. Yeah, for sure. We've talked about that a little bit. Like the the transition from Act One to Act Two is also a, a genre shift. Sure, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, we get the kind of the big, you know, sweeping action movie with explosions and guys flying off of trampolines to more of a kind of a horror suspense sensibility. And it's done really effectively too. Like not a lot of movies can can pull off the genre shift like that, but I I think this one really does does it really well because the shift makes sense in terms of the story and so as an audience you you believe it. Mm-hmm. And that's what matters. Yeah. Have we have we honored our our man Hawkins? Yeah, our fallen soldier, Rick Hawkins. Yeah, yeah we we poured one for our homie. Yeah. Yeah. So John, do we need to update our kill count then? Well, I believe we officially updated it last minute, but just to revisit it, we're at 93 so far, 93 uh, kills so far, including nine good guys now 
including Hawkins, now with fresh Hawkins guts, <laughs> and uh, 84 bad guys, with the last bad guy being the scorpion under Max boot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're, we're going to be ju- just circling the 100 body count uh, by the end of the movie. And I think we're going to be able to weasel our way towards a hundred. So All right. now's the time the part of the show where we talk weekly recommends about, you know, uh, something that you've seen or something that you've read or uh, something that you are inspired by or like shoes you're wearing or like, a, like a, a, a new style of, I don't know, clothing that you're wearing or like a kid's book that you thought was really awesome when you read to your little kids. Cause we all have <laughs> little kids, yeah. like little <laughs> yes, toddler age kids. Yeah. So Jeff, do you have something in the uh, recommendation pipe? Uh, yeah, I'll do a quick recommend today. Uh, this is a recommend. Uh, I'm going to recommend a podcast. Um, and I, I feel like it popped up in conversation uh, a couple episodes ago between you and I. Mm-hmm. But um, I've it's a podcast I've been aware of and I've listened to a few episodes. But fairly recently, I've really started kind of like going back through their catalog and I've been really enjoying the work they've been doing. Um, and that is the podcast Blank Check. Nice and uh, yeah, and so and I know you're a fan of that one as well. I John. am. Um, and the, the premise behind this podcast is it's the, it's essentially the, it's a podcast on filmographies. Mm-hmm. So they choose a director, and then each episode of the podcast talks about uh, a movie from that director's filmography. With the idea being that this particular director found success early on and then was given a quote-unquote blank check to make whatever movies they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done a ton of filmmakers um, and I'm currently working my way through uh, Paul Verhoeven, one of my favorite. Oh yeah, that's action. a good one. Yeah. Wait, one Paul Verhoeven got a, got a blank check at some point? Yeah, they say well, for... Um, after RoboCop? Yeah, RoboCop. Yeah, RoboCop was a, was a big success. And uh, he p- could pretty much make whatever he wanted to after that. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually listening to the RoboCop episode right now. Um, and RoboCop being one of my favorite action movies, really just one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I'm really enjoying the episode because the hosts feel the same way about it as I do. They're very enthusiastic about that movie. So it's kind of, uh, it makes me giddy listening to them being so excited. So, so. Yeah, check out Blank Check. There's they've done a lot of episodes, so there's bound to be some movie that you love on their list. And uh, if you find it, give that a listen, and uh, I think you'll enjoy the hosts. They're pretty great. Yeah, so check out Blank Check, everybody. Uh, I recently saw the new Godzilla movie, King of the Monsters. I'd say for the monster fighting, two thumbs up for all the cutaways to dumb humans um i would take one of the thumbs down so it's it's a solid thumb thumbs up i would say of a film um my favorite parts were just plain old godzilla fighting Ghidorah, aka monster zero aka a bunch of other names because they all have multiple multiple names um and then like the downside of that is that you have to follow the human stories so 
at times the monsters would be about to crash into each other then all of a sudden like the humans would pop up in the foreground and like we're gonna focus on their story now and i'm sitting in the theater going no no like i can see the monsters back there kind of blurrily fighting like that's what i want to see uh but but all the same the amount of monster fighting was much greater than in godzilla 2014 so uh if you like the godzilla movies i would say check it out some good monster fights the thing that comes to mind for me uh, is the children's book. John alluded to the fact that we are allowed to choose those. <laughs> the, uh, so I my, think it'll be our first children's book recommend. My daughter yeah. is a one year nine months and she is much more interested in animals than she is just about anything else around her. And uh, uh, we got uh, our two favorite animal books is from what's one author, this guy Matthew Van Fleet, who helped make these very elaborate children's books have lots of pop-ups and things like that in it. And what's interesting and different about these pop-ups is these are sturdy enough that these are the few that my daughter has yet to rip apart in a little pieces. Mm. <laughs> these have actually that... stood up to some abuse. All of the just generic little flat books, she just ripped those yeah. flaps right off. They just, that is notable because, yeah, those flaps, they, they don't last. They don't last. Okay. And uh, uh, my favorite is so far that we have is this alphabet book. And the reason I like that uh, in particular is because it does not use the standard alphabet animals that you would expect. Uh, mm. uh, they're not all just like North American house pets, the, uh, which is what a lot of uh, a lot of the AB uh, alphabet uh, animal books are. Uh, they actually include some very unusual animals, so I actually had to look up about half of them find out what in the world they were and so it, it became a little bit more interesting for the parent as well as the child nice awesome. Bathy van fleet animal books in particular the alphabet one it's sturdy it has pop-ups and it has unusual animals hey it has warthogs there's your predator connection right there nice add to the body count later hey <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, look here, sweetie. <laughs> this one dies with a knife attack. attack. We don't go attack. over the predator. <laughs> my daughter is a predator. <laughs> I don't recommend is a predator. <laughs> one thing that I, we mentioned, you alluded to briefly in this scene, is the fact that the predator leaves behind his pack and then the rest of the team carries it. I've noticed that throughout this movie, these guys' packs get pretty heavy as they <laughs> acquire more and more gear from people who are no longer with them. Yeah. Yeah. I just, but it doesn't actually show them like hurting under these, what eventually must be like hundred pound packs. <laughs> in fact, you don't even actually see some of these equipment later in the movie. That would be funny to see Arnold wearing like eight backpacks. <laughs> at the very end. But what I think is interesting is just how offhandly in a, I can think of maybe three different scenes in this movie where Dutch just tells his team, okay, somebody pack his gear. Right. Haul it. Mac. 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 Says, I'll, Mac. You know, Mac. I'll haul it. It's later in the movie or after they have to do this again. Wait, what do you mean? Something happened later again? I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. Feeling that mm. they, they, they end up having to carry more gear. I think one of the guys twists his ankle. Yeah. They have okay, to carry okay. his pack for him. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the, uh, plus it's all covered in blood and stuff. Yuck. Ugh. Gross. Gross. Mm. Diseases. Oh. Have we reached the end, John? Oh. I have one important thing that we actually we oh. should mention. Actually, okay. Why didn't the predator kill Anna? Why didn't the predator kill Anna? I wrote that down and I forgot to mention that. So Wait, that's actually you. important because this is like part of the movie. He's trying to punk Anna. He's trying to make her look like... <laughs> 
pranked it. Like they're going to be so pissed at you and they all have guns and they probably already hate you. That is a really good question that I didn't think of while watching this. Well, they do explain it later in the movie. What? Or at least one of the characters explains a theory later in the movie of why he thinks this happened. But uh, mm. I want us to talk about it now. Maybe both with the benefit of hindsight, having seen the rest of the movie and possibly our own thoughts at this point. Well, if I put on my rookie viewing hat that I'm thinking uh, in that scuffle, Hawkins is very clearly pointing the gun at her face. So maybe the predator is like some kind of guardian angel or guardian devil just like looking out for Anna. It's like some weird spirit familiar, um, even though she's clearly in shock in this in this minute and following minutes could see someone taking the impression of oh like she's working with some dude with sci-fi gear or some kind of dangerous creature that's an interesting thought the uh man it's plausible i guess in some way that certainly one of the other characters later would definitely uh, agree with you mm-hmm. uh, saying that that's exactly what's going on the uh one of the things that comes to mind for me is that we know all those American soldiers died those mysterious deaths right. earlier in the movie, and we don't know exactly what happened. Maybe this thing has a something something against American soldiers. The other obvious thing that uh, John mentioned is that Hawkins is the one who has the gun in there, so maybe just has something against uh, people who are heavily armed. But also who are like away from the group, because earlier on, all sorts of crew members are pointing guns in her face, like Ponchito and... That is interesting you say that because that's a much different tactic. If this is the same thing that got the American soldiers earlier, right. movie, if it that's is. a much different tactic because in the earlier one, he says there's a massive firefight. They were firing in all directions and they were obviously all killed. Uh, whereas this seems to be focusing on the one who's separated from the rest of the group. Right. Maybe Anna was there earlier and they're all like bullying her, this group of American soldiers. <laughs> the Predator just wasn't having any of that. <laughs> He didn't like the words that she exchanged with. Uh, <laughs> she said the, with the cold uh, word with Dylan. Did right. you guys talk about uh, the words that they exchanged in Spanish earlier as they were leaving the camp? No, because my Spanish isn't that. Is good. in the background. It's. Uh, it's I know exactly. It's what actually kind of interesting because it's in the script. Oh. Those are lines directly from the original script. Uh, she is arguing with Dylan. Dylan. Uh, and Dylan. And Dylan. She, uh, calls him Puto, which you guys probably know about. Yeah, we're the uh, yeah. and then <laughs> he tells her it's a long walk home. You just keep it up or something like that. Uh, but that's in the background, actually, as uh, as the camera's actually focused on some uh, on some other things in that scene. But all that to say that Anna is uh, obviously at odds with the entire team. But you would think that if someone was trying to uh, try to focus on who she would be most upset with, it would be with it would be with Dylan. I just think it might be that uh, the predator is like a he's like a game hunter. Mm. This is all sport for him. And, uh, you know, if you are a hunter, sometimes uh, you might avoid uh, shooting females because, you know, they're females. They might be uh, uh, pregnant with, uh, you know, so the predator might just be predisposed to not kill females out Mm. of uh, just, you know, respect for the game whoa kind of like when you're mm. crabbing you only keep the males you can't keep the females yeah right when you're hunting you right. go for the buck with the big horns pretty well established that the predator you know he keeps trophies uh, this all seems like kind of a, a a game to him a sport to him there's no real end game other than just killing them that sounds mm. like someone speaking with the benefit of 2020 hindsight <laughs> <laughs> maybe perhaps and maybe also someone who's seen <laughs> 
Maybe someone who has seen Predator 2 as well. <laughs> and maybe the Predator? No, if you saw the yeah, Predator, no, you would have learned to throw all that actually, out the window. Yeah, Good lord. Doing. Let's not talk about oh, that man. anymore. Oh, okay. So, okay. The funny joke in the comment sections of if you watch YouTube clips of Hawkins being killed, <laughs> it says, and 20 years later, Hawkins, Shane Black, kills the Predator franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Hawkins, Hawkins gets his revenge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, and listeners, if you liked the Predator, good on you. You just they're on the wrong side of history. I'm just gonna say that. Well, it seems like in defense of Shane Black killing the Predator, <laughs> it seemed like that was in fact his goal was to end the franchise. <laughs> it was. It didn't seem like he was trying to set up another. I'm a series, he, right? He if you saw the end, you would think he's trying to set up a, a whole series. Of oh, I didn't. I actually haven't seen the movie. I was going off what you had told me. Just the end scene is enough to make you think, "Oh wow, they they do want to expand this universe." How cool is that? Mm. But yeah, if you want, if you want to see their exchange, like Aaron is saying, um, in English translated uh, as they're leaving the camp, uh, it's in the uh, the 1986 shooting script. Ah. If you need to see it, just let me know. You can visit the Predator Minute listeners palapa on Facebook. You can email us predatorminute at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Predator Minute. Jeff, where can people find you? My name is Carl. You be an expert. Well, I'm on the uh, Twitter. I'm Carl underscore Hungus 314. Jeff Glover on Twitter. Come follow me there. Aaron, where can people find you? <laughs> won't where can people find you i'll find you (laughs) well all right all right yeah i think that's it for predator minute 43 so for predator minute i've been john zabriskie and i am jeff glover this is aaron zabriskie and until next time you really think this boy scout stuff's gonna work you really think this boy scout bullshit's gonna work can see our tripwires maybe it can't see this Instead of complaining, maybe you should help.